these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's the reason we celebrate this day, but as we celebrate this day, we also uh, worship uh, the Word who became flesh by listening to the Word uh, that he inspired, that he himself has breathed, that we might be able to honor him. Uh, The passage this morning for our consideration, or the primary passage for our consideration this morning, is Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verse 3 is our, our primary text, but for the sake of context, and because we'll also touch on it, I'll read through verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, hear the word of our God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The word of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, we celebrate uh, even as much of the world does and pray that you would speak to us even now through your word, that we would not only be those who celebrate uh, the word that became flesh, but we would be those who interact, those who experience the blessing of that word. Lord, speak to us now, even as we have heard your word, as we consider your word, let us meditate upon it, let us feed upon it, that our souls would be nourished, our lives would be strengthened, and you would be honored. Lord, be at work in us now, we pray, in the incomparable name of Christ, our Redeemer and our King. Amen. Have you ever been on the wrong end of a gift exchange? You know, you go out and you buy a gift for someone, whether it's family, somebody you work with, and you think about it, and and you put some thought, and you you give the gift to uh, the person that uh, either has been assigned to you or just because of the the nature of the relationship, and you give them the gift, and you watch, and you're excited as you watch them open, and you see a genuine appreciation for what you gave them. Now, you open the gift that they gave to you, and it is so much better than the gift that you gave to them. How much, how do you feel when that happens? I hate it. But that's essentially what Christmas is. Because Christmas is the day that we celebrate the gift that God has given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We come recognizing that Jesus Christ is a gift. I mean, we're told that. uh, John in his, his gospel tells us very simply God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave, meaning it's a gift. It's something that God has extended, God has given to us. He gave to us his son. Jesus Christ is that gift that we receive, that we celebrate on Christmas Day. Earlier church fathers uh, had expressed it this way in, in the Belgic Confession. 
God sent his son to assume the nature in which our disobedience had been committed in order to bear in it the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. And they go on. So God made known his justice toward his son who was charged with our sin and he poured out his goodness and mercy on us who are guilty and worthy of damnation, giving to us his son to die by a most perfect love and raising him to life for our justification in order that by him, we might have immortality and eternal life. See, this is the gift that God has given to us. He loved us, and so he gives this gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just the, come as, as the cute baby, and we're thankful that, as if he's a token that we uh, are appreciative that God is mindful of us, and so he just gives us something that uh, we can you know, feel good about and, and to be made warm. He gave us Jesus who for a purpose, that Jesus would come into our nature and then take our place and then we would then be able to be given a further gift, the, the gift that he rightly has. We're not only forgiven, but we're granted and credited to his righteousness. Author Jerry Bridges calls this the, the great exchange. In other words, Jesus gets something from us, our sin. We get something from him, his righteousness. It, it is a great exchange. It is the essence of what Christmas is. It is the giving of a gift that is far better than we would be able to reciprocate. And Jerry Bridges explains, uh, here's how the great exchange works. Imagine your life as a moral ledger in which every action, every thought, every word, and every motive is recorded. It's pretty grim. But God takes your sin and removes it from your ledger and charges it to the ledger of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior bears the penalty uh, for all your sin. Uh, you then are left with a clean but an empty ledger. So God does something else. He takes the perfect obedience, the perfect righteousness of Christ from his ledger, ledger and he transfers it to your ledger. In computer terms, you might think of it as copy and paste in the sense that the same righteousness, even though it has been given to you, is still available for every other Christian and everyone who will come to Christ in the future. Now, you have a ledger that is no longer catalogs your sin, but instead bears only the record of 33 years of absolute perfect righteousness. How can God do this? How can a just God completely wipe all of your sin off your ledger and replace it with the perfect righteousness of Christ. Because we are in Christ. He, as our representative, stands justly charged with our sin and pays its penalty through his death. And because he is our representative, God can justly credit his perfect righteousness to us. So we can say, as Paul essentially says in Galatians 2.20, that when Jesus died on the cross, so, die, so we died on the cross. And when he lived a perfect life, we lived a perfect life because we are in him. This is the nature. This is the essence. This is something of the gift that God has given to us that we celebrate this day. The gift is Jesus Christ. But the gift that is Jesus Christ is the gift that gives, and it continues to give, as we read in our passage this morning, in Ephesians 1 verse 3. It is the gift that gives every spiritual blessing. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us. Think gift. He's giving a gift. He's blessing us. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, one of the things that we need to note first in, in this is that the gifts and the blessings are in Christ, not just from Christ. It's not as if he's Santa Claus and he's distributing various gifts. In order to experience the spiritual blessings by which we are blessed, which is the nature and the intent of the gift, we are to receive them in Christ. We, we must have him, we must be in him, we must, there, there is no separating the Jesus from the gifts themselves. They're only found in him. The best way that I can think of it is, is in terms of returning to even what Bridget's talking about in computer uh, terms. I, I recently, because my old pad crashed, bought a new uh, iPad, and every there's apps in here. I didn't even know that there were these kinds of things. Some of you who are more experienced, you have a greater appreciation of what this, uh, this new computer is able to do, things that are, uh, that are able to benefit your life. You give you entertainment, whatever, but they are in. You, you can't just say, okay, I have an app unless you have an apparatus by which the app can function. The same is true for every spiritual blessing that we get. It's not just a matter of feeling good and feeling comfortable and feeling warm and, you know, God loves you. In order to experience those spiritual blessings, we must recognize they're in Christ. So by receiving this gift that God has given to us, by relating to this gift, by connecting with this gift is the only way that we experience all of these spiritual blessings, which were the intent that God had in giving us his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gift that continues to give, and he continues to give to us spiritual blessings. So what are these spiritual blessings? Well, they are too numerable to count, but the writer here, Paul, uh, as he's writing to the Ephesians, he, he touches on several of them, and, and we see them unfolding on, in, the, in the following verses. And so just going to look at them really quickly. In verse 4, we're told that we are holy and blameless. In other words, this is what Bridges was talking about in the, in the Great Exchange. We now have his record as he took upon our nature and our record. And so therefore, when God looks at us, he declares to the, that these people, those who belong to me, no matter how ragtag we may actually be, he says they're holy and blameless because we are now wearing clothes in the righteousness of Christ. We have his record. And so no matter how you feel, no matter how you have failed, if you are in Christ, if you are receiving the gift that God has given to us, he says, you are holy and blameless. And sometimes that's important for us to recognize that is our status. That is our standing which is how we're able to relate to God. We move into the next verse in verse 5, adopted as sons. You know, we've talked about this before, but it's important that we recognize this. And implication could be, and some of the translations may be adopted as sons and daughters, and it is appropriate because men, women, male, female, it doesn't really matter. The Lord has embraced us and He's adopted them. But there's a theological significance that, would have, uh, that we lose if we only apply it. Because sons in, in that culture, when it was written, were the only ones who were receiving actual inheritance and the fullness of blessing. And so even those who are daughters, and those who God loves as his daughters, receive the, the blessing of sons. There's something significant here. But the, the, the overarching thing is, is that in the gift of Jesus, when we are in Jesus, when we receive that gift, we now, it's not just a matter of being like family, we become part of the family of God. We become those who God loves. We are adopted into his family and receive all the benefits, all of the blessings that would traditionally 
in the ancient world going to sons. We continue looking and we see as we go to the to, um, a couple of verses down in verse 7, we receive redemption. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Now redemption is, means that we've been purchased back. That our sin which plunged us into slavery, meaning we were owned by the, uh, the evil which um, became our master. It owns us. It's not a matter of saying, I'm going to turn my back on evil. I'm no longer going to be uh, evil. I'm not going to participate in this. You can run, but you can't hide. The, the, the master will eventually come and get you because it owns you. And the only way out is if somebody would pay in order to purchase you from the one who owns you. And now you would belong to someone else. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, in other words, that was the penalty. That was the the payment that he made. He shed his own blood, paid the penalty that was necessary in order to redeem you back. So that you no longer belong to evil. You no longer belong to the world. You now belong to God. He redeemed you. He, He paid that price. We see the effect of that as they continue in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In other words, we, because God's grace has been lavished upon us, we are forgiven. You are forgiven. Let that sink in for a moment. I don't know how hectic getting ready this morning was. I don't know uh, what happened today, but I safe bet that many, many of you already can figure out where your sin today is. I'm not asking for you to share. I'm just saying, just consider that. It has been forgiven. That thing that makes you cringe, that nobody may know about you, but you know about you, it has been forgiven. You have been forgiven of your sin and your trespasses, which means when your life wanders in a direction into a place that it shouldn't be, that has been forgiven. That's the blessing of God's grace that is ours in Christ. Verses 8 and 9, we we see that we also have insight into the the mysteries of godliness. In In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for fullness of time. In other words, in Christ as He has redeemed you, as He has made you part of His family, who has also revealed to you what pleases God, what God wants for you, and what God is planning to do in the world. That is open to us when we are in Christ. It's revealed in His Word, but even His Word, we're told, doesn't make sense to everyone. Someone can memorize it, somebody can teach it, but only as the Holy Spirit is at work within us, those who are part of the family can truly experience. It's it's the understanding that comes with experience, not just from learning. And the mysteries of what God is doing in the world have been made known to us. In part, that's how we received but it's also how we live and how we orient the way of our lives. The mysteries of God have been made known through His Word and His Spirit applies the Word to us. And then in verse 10 we see the other one, which is perhaps in which wraps them all together because we have union with Him and in Him to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. 
In other words, you are now in a union. You are now as part of the bride of Christ is the analogy the scripture uses. You are in union with the bridegroom, Jesus. The entire church, all who are part of the church are in union, one with God and one with one another. In one sense, this is a spiritual blessing that we think about, but for those who feel lonely, those who wonder, where do I fit? Where do I belong? You are in fellowship with all who are in union with God. You belong to God. You belong with God. Because in Christ, you are in Him. These are just some of the gifts that Jesus secures for us or that are ours in Jesus Christ. And each of them are significant in their own way. My hope is that you'll give some consideration to them. Perhaps, you know, one by one, go through and think because there is, they are rich and they are deep and the greater your understanding, the greater your appreciation and the greater the benefit that you experience. But I want to return now to the whole idea of the gift exchange. So God gave us a gift that is greater than we could ever reciprocate. He gave us Jesus. As Paul was writing to the Romans, he, he reminds us that God gave us this gift first. He gave us a gift when we weren't planning to give anything to him, according to Romans 5, because he gave us the gift of Jesus at the right time. Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies. This is the love of God. But while we can't give anything that is equal, we are able to give God a gift to have uh, to reciprocate. As we receive this gift of Christ, we are able to give gift to the Lord. And our response to the gift the Lord gives to us is our gift to Him. Now, before I elaborate on that and what we ought to do, let me share an experience I had um, that bring an idea of what we ought not to do. For my seminary graduation, my mother gave me a Rolex watch. I couldn't afford a Rolex watch. I was a poor seminary student. But I was greatly appreciative of the watch. I, you know, I never really even thought about it. It was something that was beyond comprehension, but it was just a, a marvelous uh, expression of, of love. And perhaps that, you know, maybe her son would actually have a job, um, you know, and uh, whatever. Uh, whatever the practical motives, it was motivated uh, out, out, of, out of love. Now, imagine, and this is where, it's just imagine, this is not how I responded, but, but imagine looking at that watch and considering the magnitude of that gift and realizing, this is a gift that I, I can't possibly reciprocate, I can't possibly give. I, I, you know, I try to pull out my wallet and, you know, see $7 in there, run to the bank and liquidate my whole bank account and hand over to her the $37.74 that we have in our account at that point in time and say, you know, you gave me this marvelous gift, so let me give you the gift kind of to reciprocate that. And I give her the 37 bucks. What does that say about my view of the gift? 
And how would I make my mother feel by trying to give her $37 for such a magnanimous gift? You see, if, if I look at that gift that she gave as an expression uh, of love and, and just felt just so overwhelmed that I couldn't enjoy it unless I could somehow pay for it, I belittle the gift. What I'm saying is the gift is worth all I have, and all I'm worth is $37.74 at this point in time. I belittle the value of the gift, and I offend the heart of the giver who gave it not in order to get $37 or whatever else that she might have assumed had been in my account, had she given any thought to that. She gave it out of herself, gave it out of love, gave it out of her riches for me to enjoy. And see, I see that story is significant because the reality is sometimes when we think about the magnitude of the gift that is ours in Christ, and particularly the every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ, it's easy to become so overwhelmed that we want to figure out, okay, what am I going to give you, Lord, so that I can you know, be worthy of this gift? And our temptation is then to strive to live our lives in such a way that uh, we then become as valuable as the, the gift that is given to us. And yet we can't possibly do that because even if we do what is right, we're only doing what is right. And so that would at best give us an equal slate. And the fact is we're starting in a significant hole to begin with and we can never even get ourselves out of the debt that we owe. There is nothing that we are able to give that would be anywhere close to the value of it. And when we say, I'm going to live my life in this way so that somehow I will earn and I will deserve the love that you have given to me in this gift of Jesus Christ, we belittle the gift of Jesus Christ and we offend the heart of the giver who gave it merely out of love. Remember, he gave this gift while we were still the enemies. It was the love of God. But our response is the gift. And here's how we ought to respond. Enjoy the gift that's given. You see, our enjoyment is God's pleasure. When we are thankful to whatever degree we're able to be thankful for Jesus Christ in our lives and every spiritual blessing that is in him, that does the heart of God's love the heart of God, giving to us the gift of his love. That does his heart good. That brings God pleasure. But along with that, we also remember that Jesus Christ said this, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Now we often hear that and we get it backwards. If you obey my commandments, I'll love you, is the way we hear that, no matter how often we read that. And that puts us right in this whole idea that somehow I'm going to live my life in a way that's going to be worthy, uh, equal to, somehow, or at least approaching the gift that's given to me. But the statement here is this, is, hey, if you enjoy my gift, if you enjoy the fact that I've loved you, and you want to demonstrate your response of love. Then do what I've instructed you to do. The irony of this, and it's a whole different message, so we won't get into it, but at least the idea of that I want you to be considering this Christmas season is that when you begin doing what Jesus has instructed us to do, 
you begin to find out that even his instructions are a gift of his love and grace. Because he's telling us in everything he's instructed us, this is the way that I've designed life to live, be lived. This is the way, if you live, that you will find the most joy. This is the way you will find the most fulfillment. This is the way where you will be more. This is the way you will be who I made you to be, and this is the way you will begin to experience who I am making you to be. And and so even in the obedience that we do, not in order to get God to love us, but as a way to say, I love you, God, because of what you have given to me, all the spiritual blessings that are wrapped up in the gift of Jesus Christ, we find out that Jesus and the gift of Christ is giving us even more. Because not only do we now understand and have understanding of the mysteries of God, we understand the ways of God for our day-to-day lives. And we find out that Jesus is the gift that continues to give, a gift that we can't possibly outgive. And so on this Christmas Day, I just want to encourage you to very simply do this. Enjoy the gift that God has given us. From the words of the Puritan Thomas Watson, the incarnation of Christ is nothing other than love covered with flesh. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. I pray that by your spirit you would open our eyes and you would open our hearts that we would truly unpack this gift and be amazed. Lord, let us experience Let us begin to apprehend such love and respond to you with praise, thanksgiving, adoration, and love. To you be all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.